I'm Nick Harvey Doyle, an Anawan man from the Northern Tablelands of New South Wales. The uncurated podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present and the 60,000 years of forgotten stories they've told of country. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, can you name an important historical woman from Australia's past? From Australia's history? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Recent history, obviously, you've got Julia Gillard. Kathy Freeman was really important and she'll definitely be in history, I think. I know some of the faces on, like, some of the dollar notes and stuff like that. Off the top of my head? No. Where are all the women? It's shocking. Even here at the University of Melbourne, my fellow students and I struggle to name really any woman from our history. I'm at the Old Quad, which sits at the centre of the university. Golden light bounces from its sandstone walls and students weave through the cloisters, making their way to class. Standing here, surrounded by a mix of faces, I realise that nearly 140 years ago, the scene would have looked totally different. I'm not talking about the architecture. The buildings look the same, but the people would not have. In March 1880, there were just four women in the university. Surrounding them were men, men who'd blocked their entry into these buildings for decades and stopped them from studying medicine for years after. We talk about women being allowed to study, let into spaces, but they weren't. They fought for it, and we've forgotten both the fight and the women who fought it. I'm Sasha Gadamaya, and this is Uncurated, a podcast from the University of Melbourne. Every week, we take an object buried in the university's 12 museums and uncover its hidden history. This season, we're looking at objects that tell extraordinary stories. We want to know why these stories were forgotten and what that says about us. This isn't just a story about the University of Melbourne. This is a story about Australia, its past and the hidden histories we've purposely forgotten. First up, reporter Megan Danzi goes on a mission to reinstate the story of the first woman to graduate from these corridors. And it all starts with a simple student card. I'm sitting in my car in a warehouse area in Brunswick, a suburb in Melbourne's north. All around me are noises of the modern world, There are cars zooming past on a pretty busy road. I can hear the nearby trains passing through. And I'm in the car park of what looks like an industrial office. I think I might be a bit lost. So I check the address again, but it tells me I'm where I need to be. I'm in Brunswick to meet Katie Wood, a senior archivist at the University of Melbourne's Archives and Special Collections. Katie's leading me through several doors to stand in front of some extremely heavy grey cabinets that have the words fireproof branded on them in bold lettering. After all, these cabinets house thousands of bits of paper, student cards, from the beginning of the university in 1853 through to the 1970s. We're looking for just one, but first, we have to get the doors open. Let's open it up and have a look. I need muscles. Oof. (laughs) Wow, there must be thousands of student cards here. Oh, tens of thousands, if not hundred thousands. 
Katie is showing me a rather special piece of paper, the student card of Julia Margaret Bella Gurren, the first female graduate of the University of Melbourne and the first female university graduate in Australia's history. Katie rifles through the small paper slips looking for Bella's name. We find it, one small card of many. So we have Bella Gurren's student card here. What does this tell us about her and about the university at the time? Bachelor of Arts was a very classical understanding of an, an arts degree. We've got Greek and Latin, English and literature. There were also, you know, we see botany here, logic, paleontology, geology. Bella Gurren was the first female university graduate in Australia, and she seems to have passed with flying colours. While Gurren's student card might just seem like a piece of paper, her graduation signalled a win for women's rights in Australia. I want to find out more about Bella and the other female students that kicked down the door of gated institutions. I get in touch with award-winning historian and author Dr Claire Wright. They were pioneers in many respects because they had to still push through so many barriers to women's full participation in society. A very binary gendered idea of what women did and what men did, what the male sphere of endeavour was and what a female sphere of endeavour was. That women were the angels of the hearth and men went out into the grubby public world and did economics and politics and lives of work. Claire tells me that even once women like Bella Gurren did win the right to study at the university, it certainly wasn't an easy road. In pursuing their freedoms, they were walking into a different kind of captivity because they were very isolated. They were very few and far between. They were generally, could very likely be the only woman in the room in a very male-dominated sphere in which there was a lot of hostility to their presence. You know, there's that famous quote by the American abolitionist black activist Frederick Douglass that power gives up nothing without a demand and you know men were defending their power uh, their social power and their entitlement to take up space and suddenly there were women who were very much in their minds threatening that space. After speaking with Katie and Claire I'm in awe of what women like Bella achieved in the face of incredible hostility and I start to think why didn't I know about our first female graduate before? And why isn't Bella Gurren a household name? So I do some more research on her. I want to read a biography or find a building in her name, a statue in the city maybe. But the more I try to look for Bella's legacy in the present, the more she feels irretrievable from the past. There's a bar that carries her first name in Melbourne Trades Hall, but apart from that, nothing. I'm starting to feel pretty fed up. Where did Bella's legacy go and who forgot it along the way? To try and understand, I need to go back in time, back almost 160 years to the day of Bella's graduation. It's December 1st, 1883, a hot Saturday afternoon in a Melbourne summer. Professors and students dressed in heavy academic gowns have packed the University Council meeting room for the graduation ceremony. But of course, one student graduating on this day is not like the others. She's a woman. Bella. Bella Gurren is the first to be called up by the Vice-Chancellor, and it's recorded that as she makes her way across the stage, applause and cheers erupt from her peers at the back of the hall. And the newspapers, well, they just explode. A smart girl graduates is one headline, 
There are sketches of Bella's graduation photo. She has poems and declarations of love written about her. Her essays and commentary are printed. Her visits to the opera are the subject of gossip columns. Later, she goes on to get her master's degree, has a political career, and becomes a prominent suffragist, anti-conscriptionist, and a vocal member of the Labour and Socialist parties. It seems like she was well-known, famous even, in Australia at that time. So how was she forgotten? I think that there are a couple of reasons there. Reason number one, patriarchy. That's historian Claire Wright again. In general, one of the ways in which patriarchy operates is to mitigate against women remembering women's history anybody remembering women's history, but against the idea that um, it's important, that the, the activities and achievements of women in the past are something that are worthwhile and valuable for all of us to know. We've built a national culture around the idea effectively that women didn't exist. And if they did, they were helpmeets to men. Australian society you know, still very much labours under this misconception that women only started to do anything of any interest or any note in the 1970s when the women's movement came upon us. So very short memories. And you know, why is that a patriarchal tool? Because effectively, if you have a deliberate forgetting of the events of the past, it renders current day women into toothless tigers because you don't understand the power that is inherent in being a woman. And I don't mean power over men, but just that women can be powerful agents of change, agents of transformation. So we are very much left with a kind of adversarial idea of what women's power is about, that women's power is about taking power away from men, rather than about women's power being about changing the world. As women, what messages are we sent by history? That we either choose to write, do and achieve by dampening our own shine with a degree of anonymity, or else risk having others snuff it out on purpose? That even if we overcome the many hurdles presented to us, that our achievements aren't permanently valued or worse, purposely forgotten? I asked Katie why Bella might have been particularly susceptible to the politics of forgetting. What she did tended to be more alternative. You know, the anti-conscription campaign in World War One, patriotic fervour really hit the campus and that was encouraged by uh, the university and university professors. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think she would have been particularly kind of welcome on campus by the university authorities because of the role that she was playing in the anti-conscription campaign. So, a smart girl graduates and becomes involved in politics, making her unpopular with the university establishment. And because of her personal beliefs, along with the systemic undervaluing of women's achievements and history, becomes forgotten. I can feel my indignation bubbling into outright anger. I want some answers and some accountability. I want to know how Bella can become unforgotten. I want to ask the university executive why there's nothing on campus remembering her. But after reaching out numerous times to the university chancellery over several weeks, no one will agree to talk. Claire Wright has come up against this. She has set up an organisation called A Monument of One's Own. It's trying to unforget historically important women like Bella by erecting more statues of them. Naming is power. Visual representation is power. And visual representations in our public spaces do matter because people understand what they mean. We read the language. 
of statuary. So partly having more visual representations on our streets is about having concrete examples of women who are there to respect. It's about sending the message that there are plenty of women in history who have done things. White women, indigenous women, migrant women, trans women, sporting women, intellectual women, uh, politically active women, and that this is part of the rich humanity. Women are not a marginalised group. We are 50% of the population or more. So if statues are important enough to rip down because they don't speak to the values of a society anymore, they're also important enough to put back up again because they do speak to some new values in our society as well. I'm convinced by the end of our conversation. I even sign up as a volunteer to help Claire. Shockingly, only 3% of statues in Australia are of historical women. There are more statues of animals than women. The message our city streets send us is that Australia was shaped only by men and male achievement, which just couldn't be further from the truth. The collective forgetting of Bella Guerin's achievements is just one example of the erasure of women's history. But will building a few new statues really right the wrongs of the past? If my attempts to seek answers from the university administration are any guide, Bella Guerin might not have a university building named after her anytime soon. But maybe one day there'll be one. For me, one way of confronting the politics of forgetting would be a permanent bronze reminder of a smart girl's graduation. A monument standing tall in the light of day for all to see. That story was made by Megan Danzi. Next week, we venture into the creepy corridors of the Anatomy and Pathology Museum to find out how a century-old animal skull is linked to one of the most exciting scientific experiments of the year. How wild is that? An entire species lost forever due to careless handling? I can't believe that decades later, the same pattern of forgetting happened with its remains. Uncurated is made on the land of the Wurundjeri people. I'm Sasha Gadamayam, the host of Uncurated Season 2. Our producer is Priyaline Kara. Sound design is by Sean Roos and Thomas Phillips. Logo design is by Caitlin Dwan. Our theme song is by Ben Salter as part of the Living Instruments Project. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. Special thanks to everyone at the Museums and Collections Department at the University of Melbourne. This is a podcast from the Centre for Advancing Journalism. Thank you.